As news of the death of Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny came through on Friday, many of Europe's leaders were in Germany for a conference on security. The focus of the conference was on the Middle East and the threat posed by Russia as it continues its war in Ukraine at the edge of the EU. The European Commission President and the German Chancellor have both called on EU member states to increase spending on defence and weapons. But how does that sit with Ireland as a neutral country? Well, earlier I spoke with Tornista Michal Martin, who was at that conference in Munich, and asked him his views on proposals for Europe to buy more weapons and spend more on defence in the face of an increasing threat from Russia. There is a real sense at the heart of Europe that the invasion of Ukraine by Russia has exposed uh, real fault lines in terms of European security um, and very much dependent on on, on the US and and, and NATO and so forth. So uh, I understand where... Um, many of the, 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 the larger EU states are coming from, and particularly even in Germany itself, historically uh, would not have been as significant um, a contributor to in terms of building up its yes, own defence forces. But, 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 but they but feel... Tarnister, does, it compr- yeah. does it compromise Ireland's neutrality if uh, the, the suggestion from Ursula von der Leyen was that um, EU countries would come together and form a collective to purchase more weapons? I mean, th- does that compromise uh, Ireland's neutrality? No, sorry, just I should have clarified which earlier. The, the, any any policy like that has to take on board the specific characteristics of any individual member states' policies. And that has always been the case with our European colleagues. They respect our military neutrality. Uh, and we would all always have an option to opt in or to opt out. Um, but we do, I mean, from interoperability point of view on peacekeeping missions, for example, we have no issue in buying weapons with another state that we're working with, say, for example, in Unifil in Lebanon, where we're with the Polish battalion um, in, in terms of, of, of interoperability. Uh, Europe is probably the more, more fragmented, um, if you like, entities in terms of procurement and so on. But the fundamental point in any event is uh, we will decide, first of all, this is a suggestion, as you rightly say, uh, nothing has been, no, no detailed proposals have come before anybody in respect of this. Um, and that probably awaits the next commission. The strategic compass was published last year that did envisage um, coordination, cooperation and urged cooperation between member states um, in terms of, of, of procurement issues to get the best value. So, and, and I think a lot of that makes practical sense mm. and doesn't in any way underpin our military neutrality because military neutrality is are you a member of a military alliance, i.e. NATO? We are not and we have no plans to become members um, of NATO. While you were at that conference, um, news of the death <coughs> of the Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny came through. Um, has that focused minds among EU leaders on the need to counter the threat by Russia, uh, particularly in Ukraine, which has lost ground in the war this week and appears um, to be running out of, of weapons and, and running out of money to defend itself? Well, certainly, first of all, his death reminds us all of the regime we are dealing with, a most repressive regime that suppresses freedom of speech dissent and opposition. You simply cannot oppose this regime on any grounds. You're in jail very quickly. Many have had to leave the country. And in the case of Alexei Navalny, the most appalling cruelty visited upon him, attempting poisoning in 2020. He went back in, in my view, courageously, but um, and as now, uh, in, in our view, um, uh, died as a result of, of, of the incarceration. 
uh, and no doubt, um, you know, the his treatment in the last number of weeks, in particular, and months, has been um, uh, shocking. Uh, and it just uh, people do need reminding of what we're dealing with here. Uh, in the terms of a country that in, in the United Kingdom uh, a number of years ago uh, spread nerve agents um, you know, and, and, and to, to kill uh, former spies and so on and endangered a whole public community. So this is a very reckless, repressive regime. It has now invaded Ukraine. And yes, uh, President Zelensky gave an impassioned, humble, um, uh, heartfelt speech to the audience yesterday. And yes, Ukraine is under significant pressure. Uh, but that's... Uh, People are awaiting the United States package in respect of the um, support that is required by Ukraine. European Union has um, successfully put through a funding package in terms of making sure that the budgetary situation for Ukraine in terms of paying salaries and the day-to-day current costs of running a country will be met for the next uh, four years, a uh, 50 billion package. Uh, and Europe um, uh, has agreed that, plus a 5 billion package to the mm. European Peace Facility. We contribute per capita on non-lethal um, equipment um, uh, to, to Ukraine on that front. Does the possibility of Donald Trump being re-elected concern you, Tanishta, especially considering his opposition to the continued funding for Ukraine? Well, Again, I don't want to uh, become involved in the internal election affairs of, of another state and in the United States in particular. I was there uh, the week before last, uh, particularly in terms of the Middle East and Palestine uh, issues and also Northern Ireland issues. Um, and again, Europe, we have to deal with every new government that is elected um, and um, we will see what, what, what unfolds. Uh, it's in, 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 we have some months to go before that election. Anything can happen. Um, and uh, suffice to say that the uh, present government in the United States, the Joe Biden-led government, has transformed the transatlantic space uh, and also has brought a very powerful uh, arm, if you like, and contributor to the climate change agenda mm. in terms of the funding of renewables and right. so on, which was not the case in America be, before this government coming to power. So we would have to grapple and deal with whatever emerges in the aftermath of of, of, of the uh, of the election um, itself. All right, before I move on to matters back home, I want to ask you about the uh, Israel-Hamas war in Gaza and the, the threat to the people of Rafah, around 1.4 million of them. Um, Ireland is one of a number of countries which has been attempting to persuade Israel to call off its offensive in, in Rafah. Do you hold out any hope uh, that, a, that the ceasefire talks, which are currently underway, will be successful? It's uncertain. I do have hope that it, they would be successful. We know that from our meeting in the United States that the administration is heavily involved uh, behind the scenes in trying to work out, work up a ceasefire um, with Qatar, Egypt, uh, the Saudis and the Palestinians and, and, and others. Um, and um, so we would hope that that could happen. Um, we also know, um, and I've met this morning with the Palestinian Foreign Minister Maliki and, and Ayman Safadi, the Foreign Minister from um, Jordan, and indeed uh, my colleague Espen, the Norwegian Foreign Minister, who are heavily, and Norway's heavily involved in, in brokering uh, a number of issues in relating in relating to the Israeli-Palestine um, conflict. Um, and we're working very hard with colleagues and partners to try and not only, obviously others are dealing with the hostage releases to get the hostages out in return for a ceasefire, but parallel with that, uh, we would hope that uh, within uh, a short while that the Arab nations um, will produce a peace plan uh, that they're working with both the US and with Europe on uh, that would give a pathway uh, to a political future, to a two-state okay. solution that would involve issues like recognition 
Um, and above all, um, we are all working to try and put pressure on Israel not to go into Rafah. The implications of that would be absolutely horrific. You're talking about a million people in a very small area of ground who are absolutely devastated as it is. They've lost family, they've lost children, uh, they're short of food, and they're at the end of their tether as human beings, given what they've been through for the last number of months, bombing all over. They've been told, move here, move there. They're now in the last corner of Gaza. It would be unconscionable, in my view, uh, for uh, Israel to invade uh, Rafa or to cause any more uh, hardship to the people uh, living um, in Gaza and particularly now in the Rafa area. And okay. it could potentially have the most appalling consequences, uh, which I think would cause extraordinary challenges all around, to say the least, for the people. Can I ask you about matters back home? The, the Director General of RTE published some details yesterday of the exit packages of RTE executives who left the organisation since he took over. Um, but we still don't have all the information. We still don't know the full amounts involved. Uh, do you think we need to see those full details published? Well, my own view is, as a general principle, uh, where any organisation is being funded by the public via, via the, the licence fee in this case and taxpayers' money, there should be full transparency uh, in terms of salaries and, and, and packages more generally uh, as there would be normally within semi-state bodies. Now, I know RT is not a semi-state and I'm very conscious and I've been making this point repeatedly in the midst of all the noise that we do need to respect and uh, the editorial independence of RTE. Uh, RTE needs to build up trust with the people in respect of how it is governed, its governance and its administration. Um, and I think the new Director General is, is doing everything he possibly can to do that. I do believe in his bona fides in respect of that. Um, but as a general principle, I do believe that um, salaries and so forth um, and indeed uh, packages should be um, fully transparent. No, I don't know. And he, the indications are that he has certain legal constraints in these specific cases. Um, and that is what uh, he has indicated to the Minister. Does it surprise you that, that Rory Coveney, who was um, uh, responsible for Toy Show, the musical, which lost a, a lot of, of public money, that he walked away from RT with around €200,000 in an exit payment? Well, again, every... I mean, again, that, that according to RT and, and the Director General, that post was suppressed um, and that there, there are savings being realised because of the suppression of that post. And as you know, in the industrial relations world, um, there are legal uh, in, you know, consequences in terms of just summary dismissal. Um, and generally speaking, packages of that kind are worked out um, because of both the legal frameworks that govern employment and contracts and so forth. Uh, so again, the Kevin Barkhurst and the Director General and those before him would be more privy to those Okay, uh, contractual but, uh, issues. Um, so, I mean, no, but I'm trying to say, look, you know it and I know it and the world knows it. That's uh, in terms of those sort of scenarios and packages that are there. Um, and I think, we, you know, um, that that is, is the case with, with most organisations. Do, do you think there should be a cap on exit payments in the future? Well, again, I think they, they, they should correspond with norms. That, that's my view. I'm, uh, in the midst of understandable anger and and the need for more accountability i'm always loath to you know sort of just um respond with sort of uh, particular policy initiatives without seeing the full consequences of them um and again i'm conscious that rte has always and this is and this is where the trust issue comes in politics and and, and the political system has always avoided 
or should avoid uh, over-involvement in RT or in, in media generally because of the editorial independence issue. And where does the line get drawn um, in respect of how far we interfere? That That's my concern overall, standing back from it. Um, and I understand fully, look, I think whatever the norms are in similar organisations or you know within the general situation in Ireland, um, and I think we're beginning to witness that in RT, you know, in terms of those working, presenting and all that rest of it. Um, and I think that that's the sensible way forward, um, particularly if there is a demand for more funding from the state or from other sources. People will want to see transparency. They will want to see norms that are not excessive um, and that are proceed reasonable by people. I think that's where we want to end up here. Um, so whatever the minister will come back to us, I think, with proposals in that respect. And a capping could mean that. It could mean normal rates uh, of, of exit packages that reflect uh, both contracts that, that had been entered into previously or um, established norms uh, within a given sector uh, or a given industry. When is the government going to make a decision on uh, the future funding of public service broadcasting? Because we read again this weekend uh, in, in the Business Post that there are considerable differences in the Cabinet uh, about how that should be done or even when it should be done. Um, is it going to happen in the lifetime of this government? Well, I think what will happen within the lifetime of this government, I think we will resolve the issues, but they will take a, they will take time to take effect. I think it is sensible that we do await the further two reports that the ministers commissioned in respect of governance and other issues, so that there's a fully informed basis upon which decisions pertaining to funding are made. Um, and um, three-party leaders are agreed with the minister. We do need to resolve this in terms of the model, um, and. Um, but then it will take time. So the licence fee will be a significant revenue earner for RTE, certainly in 2024. And I would even hazard a guess into 2025 uh, until a new system is bedded down. We would hope to get a, a decision made this year, this year and hopefully before the summer recess that we get a decision made. Um, but then it will take time, I would uh, envisage, to, to work that system through and, and to have it fully up and running. Um, and I, I, you're correct, there are different perspectives on this. That's natural. Um, I take a particularly fundamentalist view on the editorial independence piece and the separation of media from being too dependent on any given government's support at any given time. Um, and um, I'm, I'm surprised that that isn't getting... <laughs> You know, even in, in, in public discourse, the same type of attention that it merits. Um, and we see what's happening in other governments, even within the European Union, where excessive control exists over the media, uh, which can affect electoral outcomes. Um, and I just don't, I, I just think we need to put in guardrails and we make, need to make absolutely okay. sure because the new funding arrangements are not just about RT, they'll be about other stations, local and national, about print media too. Because I do believe that we should fund public service content or there should be a mechanism to fund public service content because all we're hearing here, and this Munich Security Council is about networking with other countries, meeting tech companies. It's all about election manipulation. It's all about social media and the degree to which uh, misinformation, disinformation can really prevail. So that, this is very key to the survival of our democracy. So we've got to get it right and we've got to get the fundamentals right in terms of how we structure okay. any new funding arrangement. That was the Taunishta and Foreign Affairs Minister Michal Martin speaking to me from Munich. Coming up, crystal meth and the reach of the Mexican drug cartels into Ireland.